Hello there, everybody. Do you like to hear some behind-the-scenes stories from some of Hollywood's actors and actresses? Well, head over to electronicmediacollective.com and check out Bull Spit with Moose, where you can listen to Moose sit down and talk to some of your favorite childhood actors and actresses, writers and producers from some of your favorite TV shows. So come on, let's go to get the inside scoop over at electronicmediacollective.com and check out Bull Spit with Moose. Let's see what Moose has in store today. Do you like to binge watch TV? Did you know you could binge listen to podcasts? Head over to electronicmediacollective.com where they have podcasts for days. Do you like podcasts about wrestling? They have that. Do you like podcasts about TV and film? They have that. Do you like podcasts about horror? EMC has that too. Do you like comedy? Do you like books? Guess what? They've got you covered. Head over to electronicmediacollective.com Pick your favorite podcast today. To an all-new episode of Moose's Monster Mash. I'm your host, Moose. You know, if you've made it this far, that means you've made it at least halfway through the nightmare that is 2020. I kid, I kid. I could think of worse things than this year. But I digress. On this episode, my uh, guest for you is actor and comedian Sandy Grin. You may know him from... Zoobly Zoo. You may not, but uh, if you'd like to know more about that, you can shoot over to my other podcast, Bull Spit with Moose, and learn more about that aspect of him. But on this show, we're going to focus on his run as puppeteer on movies such as Child's Play 2, Child's Play 3, and Beetlejuice. But first... For longtime listeners, you know that October is our one-year anniversary, and we're we're putting together quite a special show for that one. And here to help me talk about a promotion that we're going to be running starting in September is no stranger to the show, and and in fact, is the very first guest I had on this show. So, please welcome friend of the show and good friend of mine, Mr. Billy Zombilly Peck. Hello. Happy Halloween. I mean, it's it's only September, but hey, you know, uh, it's close to October. A it's lot Halloween of people somewhere. Start, people start uh, celebrating Halloween season come like August. And, and interestingly enough, I found out just this year it was on my birthday i was i was that day years old on my 35th birthday but that day years old i found out that july 23rd marks 100 days to halloween so no i kidding. believe that my birthday is the official starting off point of when you start 
getting into that Halloween spirit because it's only a hundred days away. Huh. So I think that just solidifies me even more as maybe not the king, but a king of Halloween. <laughs> we three kings of Halloween are. I don't consider myself a king of anything, but I did find it very cool. And anyway, I'm happy to be here uh, to start celebrating your one year anniversary. Uh, not only, you know, just as the first guest of of your show, but as a friend and, and behind the scenes collaborator and all that good stuff. So I'm happy to be here talking about uh, your upcoming promotion. Starting in September, we will be running from September 7th to October 19th. We will be running a giveaway. Uh, it's a uh, Dracula fan or fang package, if you will. Why Dracula, you might ask? That That's a very good question. Well, October's episode for our one-year anniversary, I got to sit down with none other than the great-grandnephew of the author of Dracula, Mr. Dacre Stoker. And we will be giving away, to start with, a... What would you say, Billy? Is about 14 inches? Yeah, roughly. Something like that. Yeah, about a 14-inch Bram Stoker bobblehead. And this isn't like a cheap quality bobblehead. I mean, we both have one, and these are gorgeous. Yes. You know, it's a lot of times, you know, if you hear bobblehead, sometimes you think kind of like, you know, maybe over-stylized and, and kind of goofy-looking you know, it's a bobblehead, so sure. Like maybe the head is a little bigger than the rest of the body, but like it's not like it's not like a silly caricature or stylized version at all. Like it's it's Bram Stoker. Uh, it, 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 like I said, yeah, it's it's a bobblehead, but it's more like a a pretty cool Bram Stoker statue. So we'll be adding some more stuff to it when the giveaway actually goes live on the eighth. Billy, you want to tell them where they can go to get the information? Yes. So you can head over to Facebook and search Moose's Marvelous Wood Burnings and more. You, you know, you might ask, well, why would I go to a wood burnings page? Well, that is also uh, one of Moose's creative endeavors. And maybe as a little tease, one of the other things that you'll get out of this prize pack is some sort of uh, professionally made wood burning and it may or may not pertain to a one Dracula. Uh, so go to Facebook, search for Moose's Marvelous Wood Burnings and more. Once you start typing it, you don't have to type it all. It'll start to populate and you'll start to see it. Or you can go to Twitter at Moose Media Inc. As in I-N-C, like incorporated, not Inc. as in like drawing things. Moose Media Inc. And you'll be able to see from there that uh, one, once this is posted, once the 
contest is posted, the giveaway, um, you'll you'll get instructions on on what you're supposed to do in order to try and win this. Uh, but we figured out we we did we did the math, and it's going to be around like seven weeks worth of time to be able to enter in to, to win this prize package. And you're going to be getting some pretty cool stuff. So, and it's free, you know, there's, there's not going to be any money involved. Um, you're, you're going to be taken care of. Keep an eye on Facebook, Moose's Marvelous Wood Burnings and on Twitter at Moose Media Inc. Upcoming promotion all free as a thank you for joining me for the last year on this horror journey. We're going to turn you over to the interview with Mr. Sandy Grin, and then Billy and I will be back to talk some more about child's play and Beetlejuice. Enjoy. All right. I'm sitting here with Sandy Grin. He was a puppeteer on movies like Beetlejuice Child's Play 2, Child's Play 3, and also happens to be a fan of old horror stuff and the special effects guru, Ray Harryhausen. Absolutely. So, Sandy, how's it going? It's going really good. Thanks. Thanks for talking to me. Uh, a huge Ray Harryhausen fan, and I was a Ray Harryhausen fan before I knew who he was, but I used to go to Saturday matinees. Uh, in Culver City, either at the Culver or the Meralta, depending on which place had Jason and the Argonauts or Jack the Giant Killer or Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. And it was only later that I realized that there was something that all of these had in common. They were really badly acted, and they were very hairy, and the monsters were incredible. Um, I, I grew up reading Famous Monsters of Filmland and was a huge fan of Universal Horror Films, like, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy terrified me. Um, so then to, to be able to get on any movie that was close to anything like that, quite a treat. Do you have a favorite universal monster? Well, of the old, the old monsters. I mean, like yeah. Frankenstein, Wolfman. And um, I thought Wolfman was a little whiny. Um, I, yes, I think uh, Boris Karloff's Frankenstein was stunning, especially Bride of Frankenstein, where he learns to speak and throws the girl in the water and talks to the, the blind violinist. And he goes from only knowing one or two words to, you go, you live, you stay, we belong dead. So he, he suddenly gets full sentences and moral has solved moral dilemma somewhere between the violinist and the castle burning down i love that yeah i mean he he went from like full full-on fire bad to the complexities of human nature <laughs> it's the complexity of human nature absolutely i i also i i enjoyed the castle movies because christopher lee and peter cushing were all cool yes. but i thought they were a little bright but they were also shows we saw in in the matinees i thought those were, were cool for for what they were Bella Lugosi was just every single second. I think I was more of an adult when I realized that not only did he learn the whole thing phonetically, but he was stunning in it. And Dwight Fry was spectacular. And uh, just the the eeriness and the way that the old Universal horror films were shot, I thought was 
it was incredible. And, you know, to go on the Universal lot and see the archway where Frankenstein walked through um, is pretty cool. Ray was actually still to this day one of the top special effects gurus in movie-making history. Yes, it was. He never, ever assumed that there was going to be... Um, and no puppet work was going to be close to what he did with the skeletons from Jason and the Argonauts um, or, or some, some of the monsters that he did. Um, once you got to CGI, it was a really sad day for uh, stop-action artists as well as puppeteers because, and I think it was, it was Jurassic Park that where suddenly most of the dinosaurs were computer and there was very little coming around a corner or really stepping on something, or, you know, like the King Kong hand that Fay Ray got into. There was, there was less and less of that. Um, it, cheaper? Yeah, probably. Probably to not have to build any puppets or have any puppeteers or, or do any actual special effect work. I know Harryhausen's stop action took forever. Yeah. Um, and, and the intricacy of all of that, oh, my God. Was it... Um, was it Jason or Seven Voyage where he had um, the Medusa um, with the, the snake heads? And, and I think that also had a three-headed dragon in it. I um, think that was Jason and the Argonauts. God, that was great. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's I just, mean, just considering there were just these sculpts that were then brought to life – yeah, and he was long moving them around. Long before CGI, long before, you know, any sort of computer animation. And and the to be able to be smart enough to, like, spin that many plates to remember what the expression, because, like, his skeletons in, in Jason, they had they had expression. They took their hits. They they attacked angrily, and they were defeated and, and, and showed showed them they weren't just they weren't being people were not being attacked by a table they were being attacked by something that was alive um he was creating creatures out of these little clay things that were alive it's absolutely brilliant so of all these horror films that i couldn't get enough of i was terrified of the invisible man and there was no reason for it because once um um who is who is he he plays the sheriff in in Robin Hood, um, when, once he takes off the, the the bandages, he's invisible. He's not even there. There's absolutely no reason to be afraid of him. And then David McCollum was in the TV show, and I was terrified of that. There's See, the, 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 the uh, classic movie that got me and still gets me to this day is uh, Nosferatu. Yeah, terrifying. And also everything that Lon Chaney Jr., a senior, was in, like the original – Phantom of the Opera and Hunchback, yes. those were incredible. And that was silent film with makeup and his incredible mask work. Yes. Because he was able to do things with his eyes and his body, his, his body in particular, how he was able to do... Especially in Hunchback. Oh. Be, become a Hunchback like that. Unbelievable. And he's played other characters where he was a... either had a limp or a, some kind of a half walk or just, you know, he, he amazing physical movement he would be a huge star if it was 60 years later. Oh, yeah. And Lon Chaney Jr. was good, but it was just not really. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I like the Wolfman. Um, yeah. Writing could have used work. The character itself I liked. 
I like the concept. Maria Ospinskaya was good. Yeah. Whether a man is full at heart and says his prayers at night becomes a wolf when the moon is out, the moon is full and bright. She was scary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you later joined the genre of horror by being a puppeteer in Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. Yes. And uh, you, you puppeteered the hands of Chucky. and Child, Child's Play was, was, as someone who's also a fan of this and also doing it, um, I didn't have to separate those. There, the director would tell Chucky, in Child's Play 2, he does a scene where he's walking towards the camera or away from the camera. I think it's towards the camera with a ruler, with a yardstick in his hand. He's in the school room, and he's, I think, just, I think we've just killed the teacher. Um, and <laughs> I, 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 we killed so many people. It's just so hard to remember. All the bad actors, we had to kill them. Um, who died first? I, yeah, who's on first and what was killed second? And the director tells us all, and we have one guy who has a strap on his, um, on his face, and another one is doing eyes, and we have someone for the hands, and because it was a full body walk, we had someone doing the feet, and there was a big rod coming out of his back that was attached to a moving um, vehicle, uh, like a crane thing with wheels, so that the puppeteers could ride him forward and were blocked by Chucky himself. I don't mean to give too much of this away, but Chucky did not walk on his own. Um, so all of us, there were seven, eight, or nine of us when he was doing a walking Chucky. And the director just told Chucky what to do. I mean, the director was like, okay, so you're going to walk out like this. You're going to stop. You're going to say your line. You're going to hold up the, the ruler. And then you're going to continue walking into camera. And I knew that I was the hold up the ruler guy. The guys walking had to stop at that table. Um, the guy with the mouth had to move his mouth and, my, and mouth the words of Brad Dourif, who was the voice of Chucky because all the, all the dialogue was pre-recorded, um, And we all knew what our part was, and all the director had to go was action, and Chucky walks towards the camera, stops at the table, raises the ruler, and says his line, and then walks off screen perfectly. And it was a bunch of us that made that work. That's, it's incredible. That was so incredible to watch. As we're doing it, I'm watching this happen. Going, this is really neat because I'm just the hands right there. Look, I'm those fingers. Oh God, it was amazing. Chucky, Chucky was, was so much fun to move and and his expression. There were three puppeteers doing the face alone, so there was mouth, eye, upper eye, lower. There's above and below the eyes is one person. That's what I did in Child's Play Three. There's the eyeballs themselves that are turning left and right, up and down, and then someone is doing the mouth um, attached to a a mouth device. So when they're moving their mouth, he's moving his mouth. So three puppeteers are moving his face. And, and the, the work shows. Do you have any other stories from your time puppeteering on those uh, three movies? Yes. Through Van, I got to be on Beetlejuice and Child's Play. And my role on Beetlejuice was pretty minimal. Van was the shrunken head that sat next to Alec Baldwin in Purgatory, uh, which was in all of the the trailers um alec baldwin is sitting on the couch he looks over at the um hunter with the shrunken head who gives him a dirty look and then looks back and and rolls his eyes and van snowden did that with 
a ten, pretty much a tennis ball size head on a stick with eyes that looked up. And that's, and that's all. And it was the comedy timing of it was spectacular. So I, I learned absolutely from a master how to make hand puppets not only come to life and be real, but be funny and have great comedy timing. None of that was in, was used in child's play. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I, I but Chucky was had uh, had a lot of great comedy lines in Child's Play too. I was his hands, so in long shots, his hands were just part of his body, and I had r- radio control that just opened and closed his hands. Uh, we had some close-up scenes where his arm had to reach. In one scene, he had to reach under a grate and pick up a knife and pull it under the grate and then hold it up. Um, and it was very much, it was a big arm, and it was very much like those games at the carnival where you're trying to get a toy with the crane yeah. and get the crane to close and pick up the teddy bear. That's what it felt like with this Chucky hand reaching for the knife. Um, and it was amazing. On the second take, we got it. We got the knife. He got it perfectly. He reached up, and the director said, cut. And then he said, let's get one for safety. Let's just get one more shot of this for safety. 58 takes later, <laughs> we still couldn't get the knife. And he didn't say which one. <laughs> well, we got it right once, and then 58 takes later, we got it again, kind of. And at that point, once you got to 40 takes, he's not going to go forget about it. I guess we have it. He's going to think, you know, it's like gambling. It's like the lottery. I've got to be able to do this. I've got to be able to get this right again. No, couldn't get it right ever. It's just, but in childhood, I got to be, I was brought in for the comedy. I know, what comedy? The comedy segments of Chucky play after Chucky kills people. He says some kind of funny, anecdotal, and totally appropriate smart aleck remark. And they went back and shot those again with me working on the eye expressions because apparently my smart aleck after death comedy remarks is is a specialty for me. So I I helped make Chucky a little bit funnier on Child's Play 3. But on Child's Play 2, I had the really important task of picking things up and waving. And we were killed on Child's Play 2 by a big giant vat of melted wax or melted Chucky. I mean, you know, whatever the plastic is that the Chuckies were made. And uh, somehow came back and we were better at the at the boys' school in Child's Play 3. And then I was involved in them, but I think they got to Child's Play 49. So he keeps coming back. There are many Chucky dolls. There's a half-body, full-body. There's face. There's whole doll that's just a Chucky doll that, that the little boy carries around with him. Um, during a break, we knew that the Universal tour was gonna goes by our set. So we brought the chair, one of the actor chairs, outside. We propped one of the Chucky dolls in the actor chair, put dark glasses on him, had him reading a variety, and tied monofilament to his hand. And as the tra- tram car came by, the tram tour guide was like, oh, my God, look, it's Chucky on a break. And we raised his hand to wave. <laughs> and 
every single time the tram would scream. I mean, he, he's a doll sitting in a chair with dangly feet reading Variety, and they screamed when he raised his hand. I, it was, I loved that. <laughs> no, no one ever mentioned it from the tour why we did or should not do it anymore, but it was sure great when we did do it. Um, That's great. In my participation of Beetlejuice, we were doing a scene where, and they ended up replacing a lot of it with CGI, but we had the, um, the, the staircase banister turns into a snake and wraps around Catherine O'Hara. And we were puppeteering the snake as it wrapped around Catherine O'Hara, who, by the way, is incredibly funny and incredibly nice and another Second City person. Um, and I, I wish I could work with her every minute. So we're standing there, and we're moving the snake around, and Tim Burton uh, goes, cut, cut, cut. Would somebody please tell the puppeteers that I wanted to go counterclockwise and not clockwise? And I'm standing a foot away from him. So I turn to Catherine O'Hara, and I say, what did he say? And she said, See, he wants counterclockwise. And I went, oh, okay, thanks. And we did the scene. He wouldn't talk to us because we were this we were puppeteers and we were not, we were not actually humans. And I, I was friends with, here's another name dropping. I was friends with, with Jeffrey Jones, who was in Ferris Bueller's day off and played the emperor in um, Almadeus. And he's in Beetlejuice. And I went over and I said, is the director being mean to you? And he said, Oh no, no, he's being delightful. And I told him what happened. He said, well, maybe he's just, mean to people who aren't human (laughs) (laughs) oh that's a great answer thank you okay i um this isn't a horror film i don't know if you want to talk about it but we did a uh a puppet um a commercial that was a super bowl spot for doritos with beavers coincidentally uh building a three-story log house for this camper that was having trouble putting up his tent um and Joe Pitka was the director of the video of the commercial. Joe Pitka does Pepsi and Dorito, and he gets Cleo's when he goes to the bathroom. This guy has more awards than anybody, and he looks like a mean Ichabod Crane, and he is Sheesh. just one of the meanest people in the world. Um, but he gets a lot of awards, and he'll stop shoots because he wants to play basketball with the staff or he wants to audition for another commercial. So it's it's five days of shooting that shouldn't take five days, but it's Joe Pitka, and he's a master. Uh, I brought Diet Coke on the set, and the AD said, don't let Joe see that. He'll kill you because it's a totally Pepsi <laughs> set. So that was the kind of guy he was. Um, uh, Tom Fountain and myself were the two hand puppet beavers, and then we had at least six different audio animatronic beaver puppets that worked electronically that, you know, eyes and head twitches and things. Um, Pitka looked at these things and he hated them. It was like bad at home with Mr. Lincoln. He just thought it was the worst crap in the world and they couldn't do anything. And we said, well, I think we could probably do it with the hand puppets. So we had the electronic puppets in the background as extras and these were very expensive puppets and Tom and I did these hand puppets because they had as many 
um, muscles and nerve endings and, and bones as a hand does. They can move in every which way, much more than an electronic puppet. So we were able to roll things up, turn things around, pick things up, do double takes, and he was blissfully happy with those two. I know that because in line for lunch, he walks up to me and he looks at me, and I look at him, and he nods and grunts, and he walks away. And the AD came up and said, oh, he likes you. Because <laughs> I guess he doesn't nod and grunt at most people. <laughs> He was happy. He went, That's crazy. <laughs> and if, if if you look at the commercial, we, we actually did a great job. Unfortunately, we were selling pizza-flavored Doritos, which tasted like crap. They did. And they just did not sell. The, the commercial was great, but the product wasn't that good at all. But that was so much and, – and I've gotten really good at hand puppets since then. So if, if you put a hand puppet on me, I could make it come alive and even please Joe Pitka <laughs> is, I guess, the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for sharing your behind-the-scenes stories with, you know, and your love of horror with us. Thank you. And you can send them back to Zoobly Zoo if they, yes, if they get tired of talking about the If you want to know more about Sandy Grin's <laughs> career, check out my other show, Bullspit with Moose, on Electronic Media Collective, where you can hear about the rest of his career and his time on Zoobly Zoo. Uh, thanks for joining me today and taking the time to share your love of horror and the passion that drives the genre. Yes, it's real. What an interview, folks. I mean, puppeteer, a Harryhausen fan, a horror fan. Yeah, you know, and just what a what a cool guy. What a what a cool interview. You know, like like you said at the beginning of the show, like people people would most you know, you say recognize, but he was behind makeup, but he's most famously known for being Builder Beaver from Zubali Zoo. And it's really cool to see that, you know, people within the entertainment industry have all types of facets that they work in. And he's an actor in a costume for a mid 80s children's television show. And then you find out that like this guy actually just this huge fan of, of like you said, uh, Ray Harryhausen and that you know, puppeteering and stop motion animation and, and, you know, special effects and all that stuff. The, the thing that we love most about uh, horror films, you know, you, uh, you hear a lot of people today talking about how, oh, you know, I, I appreciate practical effects so much more than CGI and whatnot. Well, this guy was that. He, he worked on some of our favorite practical effects Type movies. Yeah, I mean, Ray really was the guru of practical effects. I mean, mm -hmm. you look at the work he did on Jason and the Argonauts or some of the early King Kongs and stuff like that. His sculpts were amazing. Mm -hmm. And they were sculpts. I mean, come on. Right. So then you have Sandy Grin, who grows up a fan of that and starts doing that work. Uh, again, predominantly in like the late eighties and whatnot. 
uh, with with Child's Play 2 and 3 and Beetlejuice. And if you listen to um, the previous episode, uh, his more Zoobly Zoo-centric episode, episode on Bullspit with Moose, uh, he also talks about being the practical effects animator for the cat. What is it? Salem? Salem on uh, Sabrina. Salem on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the, the original uh, 90s TV show. So, you know, this guy has worked in horror. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was really cool to be able to, again, take somebody that almost everybody would know from a children's TV show and be able to get such a cool uh, fan and professional perspective in the horror genre. Oh yeah. And I mean, child's play is such a fun movie. I mean, it did what, well, the child's play franchise in general really did what Leprechaun tried to do. It took something so innately not scary and made a successful horror franchise. out. Yeah. That's still going strong today. has two, uh, franchises going now. Uh, you know, uh, it was, we, we just got a remake, you know, about a year and a half ago. And then, you know, there's a TV show on the way from the original creators that is connected to all the other films, which are the ones we'll be uh, primarily talking about Yeah. now. Because, I mean, you, you don't expect this little doll to run amok. Right. You know, and... Honestly, I think that's part of what the thrill of the movie was, was there's just this little doll. Yep. You know, it's a doll. It can't hurt you. It's a toy. Right. Ha ha, joke's on you. You know, I mean, <laughs> like in the interview, he talks about one of the scenes he, uh, when Chucky kills somebody with a ruler. Yes. You know, yeah, the teacher. Yeah. Yep. You know, I mean... You know, just finding different ways to kill people and how to do it. And that was one of my biggest loves for this franchise was they found, you know, innovative ways to make the kill. Mm-hmm. And the main villain was this just not obscure. Obscure is the wrong word. Unassuming villain. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, even by the sequels, it was still... It's still just a doll. Oh, for sure. You know, it. I, I, that that was something that was pretty smart about how those films worked out. You know, obviously you have the first one and like it's just this it's a toy made off of this cartoon show that that the kid Andy really likes. And he they have a commercial that get your own good guy doll. And he really, really wants it. And then like, you know, just stuff starts happening. The nanny like gets pushed out the window and and you know they're trying to figure out how the heck all this stuff happened and it's just absurd that it would be this doll but you know so for the ones that that sandy worked on you know part two you know the mom if i'm getting my my if my memory serves correct you know she's basically like in like a mental ward or something or like she's she's just considered unfit uh so andy is put in foster care and he just the the family doesn't believe that it's this doll they just think that he's just another troubled little boy 
who they have to try and help, you know, not be so troubled. Uh, so yeah, when this doll starts doing this stuff, they just think it's him. They just think it's this little boy causing these problems or fabricating or making things up or whatever. Ain't that how it always goes? <laughs> you know, and then part three, again, very unassuming that there'd be this doll going and running amok, killing people. It's they're in the military. They're, they're in like military academy or a boot camp or whatever. Like there's no way that these, these soldiers are going to believe that some doll is running around killing people like they're programmed to you know be tough and realistic and like there's no way that 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 would be happening so again this doll just continues to go about being you know uh, almost undetectable until you know it's too late now i I know you're a child's play fan do you remember because we grew up in the same era yes Early 90s. I can't remember the company, but they came out with the uh, My Buddy doll. My, yeah. And then they had My Kid Sister. Yeah. My brother had a My Buddy doll. I was not allowed. <laughs> um, I locked that thing in the freezer. <laughs> yeah. Like, that thing came home. I said, nope, and locked that, locked that some bitch in the freezer. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, you just watched all these, you know, you're watching these movies where a doll, eerily similar. Very similar, yes. Just came to life. It's like, who in their right mind came up with the idea, you know, hey, let's capitalize on this and make this doll. (laughs) If I remember correctly, I sat in on a Child's Play panel where a bunch of the, you know, the creator and stars uh, discussed the franchise and uh, Don Mancini, who uh, created it, I think I think uh, Child's Play like went into production, like filming it, creating it, all that stuff. And it was maybe like within that year before, maybe just before the movie even came out, that this company was making this doll as well. You know, it's just another one of those things that like, you know, you hear like something gets put out there in in the ether and then like it's just for whatever reason like people are making similar things so it wasn't really like a deal of oh hey let's capitalize on you know this creepy doll. like it just happened to be going on about the same time and you know i think in some aspects it like hurt sales but then i think in others it helped sales because it's like Oh no, I ain't getting that for my kid. Like, I wasn't allowed. But then there's others who were like, I'm going to get this thing. Let's see what it does. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so, you and were then, like, no. I see. And in like my case, my grandparents got it for him and they'd never seen the movie. That, you know, had no sure. interest in seeing the movie. Well, I'd seen the movie. So yeah. here comes this doll in the house in a box, looks just like the uh, good guy's box. Mm hmm. And it's just like, what? No! <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, no, I was I was a kid that I was so scared of horror movies, and I remember seeing part of Child's Play. Uh, I think they were like 
So for me being a kid, I was like super scared of all this stuff. And I remember just seeing like a clip of child's play when they're like in the, uh, like the big, uh, like the big wigs office or something, you know, who, who owns the good guy property and, and Chucky's in there and he goes and like kills him. I just remember seeing this doll run around and I'm just like, I lost it. My cousin had a, my kid sister and I really wanted the, my buddy. And my mom's like, there's no way. Like, I know how scared of this stuff you are. And you're, you won't be able to sleep or, you know, anything if you have this thing. So I was never allowed to get it. <laughs> See, and you just touched on like my favorite part of Chucky because w- w- when he uh, killed somebody, he just scurried off. Yep. It was like, it, it was a kill and like a scurry. It, 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 it was right. almost cute. You know, I mean, right, right. You know, and, and again, like it gets, it kind of gets to blend in with things. Cause you know, if it's at a house, you know, with, with, with a kid, you know, he's got toys, you know, this scene that I remember seeing in the, this office of, of the, the head of the toy company. And he just had random toys, you know, just around. So like, you know, you see the feet scurry by and he's like, what's that? He's looking around but all he sees is toys. So it's like, Oh, no big deal. And then Chucky, you know, cuts his ankle or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it acts on like just this innate fear of kids. You know, it, it plays on the fear of the dark. It plays on the fear of the unknown and it ramps it up to 11 and plays it out very well. Yeah. You know, with, with the scurrying, you get, like, the sound of, like, sc- scampering rats, basically. Sure. And people have an innate fear of rats. So you're like, yeah. okay, what's going yeah. on? You know, w- w- what's around me? And it, it just builds attention, builds attention. And then, yeah, you see the doll. And you, you get this sense of comfort and ease and then he strikes yeah it's really cool how they play it out yeah um and you know going back to you know like particularly the ones that that sandy worked on you know two and three uh two is my favorite of the series yeah uh again you know andy is now living with a foster home uh he you know he has this older foster sister you know, there, there, there's just like cool stuff about, about the movie, you know, they, they really were able to expand on it. And, you know, the first one, as much as I like it, you know, it, it has a lot to do with like voodoo stuff. You know, that's how he gets transferred into the body. And, uh, you know, it's cool. Um, but like, I don't really care so much about the focus of, of, of it. So like the second one, like you already know that it's moved on. You can now it can just be Chucky doing Chucky things. And then, yeah, like them at the end of the movie, they're in like the factory where good guys are made and like they just melt him down. And yeah, it's so cool. Like, you know, he's like on like this cart and he's like pulling himself along and he's got like a knife shoved in his cut off hand and 
you know, his half of his face is melting off and, you know, then it ends with, you know, like all that stuff and, you know, getting, getting melted down and, and whatnot. He gets death by Chuck. Yes. You know, and then the third one, years go by, they feel like, you know, enough time has passed that they can bring this back. People will have forgotten. And well, how does Chucky come back? They reopen the uh, factory where Chucky or you know good guy dolls are made. They take the melted dead Chucky, put him in the the melter, you know, for the plastic, and you start to see his blood trickle out. And now he's back, and it's like yes, <laughs> that you know, and that that's an interesting one of the franchise. Like a lot of, I a lot of people don't really. I care for that one. Um, I don't know why. Uh, I always thought it was cool. You know, Chucky is like extra dastardly in it. Like, like I said, they're at like a boot camp and they're doing basically like a, a capture the flag type of thing. All the, the guns that they have are filled with paintballs, but, um, Chucky replaces the like their actual guns that have paintball bullets. Um, he replaces the bullets with real bullets. So now all these young, you know, young adults are now actually killing each other. And Chucky's just sitting back going, yep, this is this is my doing. <laughs> and those expressions were brilliantly done by Sandy Grin. Right. Exactly. You know, and, and again, like, and that's, yes, you know, we're talking a lot about what, you know, the movies are like and whatnot, but, you know, breaking down part of what makes those things so great is, you know, the, the, just the how look. many people it takes to run one of those damn dolls. Right. And, and Sandy just happened to be the one who, you know, Kevin Yeager was the guy who like made uh you know the chucky and got it all set up but he had to have a team help you know control him and sandy just happened to be the best one to be able to get those facial expressions and you know that iconic grin of of yeah chucky. i mean and in two it was you know he you know he he was hands mm -hmm. he got a hell of an upgrade in three yeah he, for he sure. went from hands to that very uh important uh smirk and just look after that 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 after death look yes which you know i mean that's a pretty important uh you know look when it boils down to it you yeah because that, that's yeah, the next sure. thing they cut to is how is that facial expression mm -hmm. so and again like I, I have to use the term grin and it just happens to come from Sandy grin. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a lot of, you know, the cool stuff about Chucky and I'm sure we could spend all kinds oh, of God, time yeah. breaking down the franchise and maybe, maybe next season maybe, we might, maybe we save that for another time. But, uh, the other uh, big thing within the horror genre that he worked on was Beetlejuice. Yes. And what was the, he may have done a few things, but what was the specific 
part of the movie that he worked on. The uh, Bannister, uh, when it wraps around, uh, I can't even think of her name right now, Catherine O'Hare. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to stop that for a second. You have a, you're, you're a decent Tim Burton fan. Yes, for sure. Have you ever heard issues where that he has issues with other puppeteers on set? Um, not that I recall. Um, you know, I suppose some of what's neat about Tim Burton is like, you know, you see this in his films, like there's, there's a certain mystique about him and he's kind of always been that way to me, uh, as a filmmaker, like I know so much about like my favorite filmmakers. I don't know a ton about how he is on set other than I've heard a few people go like, Oh yeah, I loved working with Tim or, you know, whatever. So no, I don't, I don't really know. So, Cause yeah, I think my favorite story is the, uh, you know, Sandy's standing not too far from Tim and Tim yells cut. He, he wants the puppeteer to do something. He's like, tell the puppeteers to do blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and Sandy's like, what? Yeah, and Catherine says, well, he wants you to do this. Oh, okay. yeah, and just in kind of a smart ass, like, I'm standing right next to you, guy. Come on. <laughs> yeah. You know, between the two interviews, what I've learned about Sandy is he takes his work very seriously. Sure. And he, he does not like to be uh, looked down upon as less than when it comes to uh, doing his work. So I, I could imagine getting a little snippy. And yeah, I'd like to be a, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for the rest of that shoot. Sure. Um, but Beetlejuice had a lot of great puppeteering and just uh, effects in general. Like, he, he lets us in, in this interview, you know, he let us in a little bit on the uh, shrunken head. I was done with a tennis ball. Oh, sure. You know, and just how to, you know, just make like little hand puppets make look phenomenal. I, I listened to this interview enough times. I had, actually I had to go back and watch the scenes he was talking about. And I was like, oh, okay. Do you have a favorite scene in Beetlejuice? Um, gosh, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, to, to comment, like you said, he, he, he did the banister scene. So that's, that's the scene with the, where Beetlejuice like basically turns into the snake. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, you know, Catherine O'Hare is like walking down, uh, the stairs. She's holding onto the railing. She starts to feel like the railing is not like wood anymore and it's scaly yep um the the head of the band of the railing is beetlejuice's head and the, i mean like that it is it is probably unless i'm just forgetting something it's probably like the scariest and and meanest moment of the movie yeah because you know it, it it's definitely like a darkly Litten part, um, you know, his face is definitely not just straight up Beetlejuice. He has, you know, those snake eyes. He has these big, sharp teeth. Um, you know, he's 
you know, very snake-like, you know, like hovering his head around people. He, he grabs the dad by the legs. He drops him over the railing, over the banister, you know, could have killed him, all that stuff. Like, it is a very mean part of the movie. You know, so that one, you know, that, that part's pretty cool. Um, I don't know. I always liked when Beetlejuice, uh, <laughs> he, he has basically like his little whorehouse um i'm sorry did you say whorehouse yes like the little like whorehouse strip club thing like uh, in the model i I wanted to make sure i heard you right i mean i i I knew he had one i wanted to make sure i heard it right yes yes you know uh um i think uh oh gosh dang it why did i just forget her name gina davis barbara of course it's barbara yeah so yeah you know he's got this little you know strip club in there and and i think Barbara like picks him up to like kind of like scold him or something. And that's when like all the spikes come out of his chest and back and, you know, like pokes her, pokes her finger. And they've basically, you know, they've had enough with him. They, they realize at this point, he's not a good guy. He's not there to help him. And, and he's just like, he's like, fine, you know, leave me alone, whatever. And they like, he looks over and he's like, Oh, Hey, you know, <laughs> and All right. he like starts like, he starts like kind of like dancing over towards it. And uh, I always thought that was a funny scene. And then Barbara, you know, looks, looks at him and is just like, why'd you put that in there? And he's like, I didn't put that in there. <laughs> you know, Alec Baldwin's character, Adam, he's like, I didn't put that there. <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, he's got the recreation of the yeah. of the city. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like a lot about the movie. Um, yeah, there's there's fun little details about it. You know, there's that there's that woman that keeps coming over telling them like that they need to move. You know, this house is too big and you you know, this is really a place that should have kids in it. And like you kind of pick up on like they can't have kids. So like this woman's actually being really rude and nosy. Like yeah. you see that woman's daughter, like always sitting in the back seat of the car and, and the daughter is wearing the same exact clothes as this woman. And then like, um, right. You know, when the new, you know, when the deeds uh, show up and, and move in there, they, uh, that woman shows up again and um, they're like, kind of in like a more like morning outfit, like morning, like their, their death. And she's like, Oh, if you need anything, just give me a call. I designed everything in this house when she clearly didn't. But again, like the daughter is wearing the same exact outfit as her. It's like, there's, there's just really, there's neat little details about the movie. Like, and, and does some of that stuff like matter to the bigger picture? No, um, I don't know. Not necessarily, but, uh, Again, like that's just that's just really cool little stuff, you know, that you pick up on after you've seen it a trillion times. Oh yeah. Um there's also like another little part in the movie where um when they go when the Maitlands go down to uh I don't know what you what you would call it, the the netherworld, you know, the you know, hell or wherever the heck it is. Um, they like, 
op- they're opening doors and like they see like the door of lost souls or you know there's this other place like there there's one room that is like a movie theater that like these dead people are just watching a movie the movie is us they're watching real life and like again that's just all like really small stuff that you may not just pick up on the first time but once you like find out about it and you see it you're like oh man like it's just it's cool I, i i like a lot of stuff about that movie and it was you know one of my very first um you know, it's 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 one of those very first adopters into, you know, that the the horror genre. You know, I might have been too scared for a child's play, but Beetlejuice was like just cool enough and not overly scary. And like any of the adult stuff was subtle enough that it's like, oh man, it's just this cool guy with green hair and a striped suit, and you know, he grabs his dork and you know, goes honk, honk, (laughs) you know, like, like this guy's funny. Like I like this, but it's also like dark and macabre at the same time. So, yeah, I mean, there were enough little things sprinkled throughout to entertain everybody. And as far as horror goes, it's a good, like dip your toe in the water kind of. Yeah. It's a gateway. Yeah. So it it is very much a gateway drug for the horror, uh, uh, community. Yep. Um, it, it's great for kids to start with, mm-hmm. which, because like you said, 90% of kids won't get the adult references. Right. And adults are going to laugh their asses off. Um, yeah. Yeah. And kids will laugh. They won't know why they're laughing. Right. Until just, they start to get older and they're just like, oh, Okay. Mm-hmm. That's why that's funny. That's why that's f- okay. You know, and and to now now uh, he ne- didn't necessarily do any of this stuff, but like you know, to go back to you know Sandy Grin's fandom of Ray Harryhausen, you pick up on that in in Beetlejuice and just in Tim Burton films in general. So the the mix of Tim Burton and Sandy Grin with a love of Ray Harryhausen makes a lot of sense. And yeah. like you're, you know, you watch the very beginning and it's that overhead shot that it's like going through the city and that that's all just miniatures. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, models, you know, for those that don't necessarily know the terms. Um, and, but it looks real, but like, it's just slightly off. Like it just, it, it gives it this different aesthetic kind of a charm that you don't, necessarily know what it is and once it like starts to zoom down onto the Maitland's house all of a sudden like this giant tarantula crawls on it and you're like wait wait, what and that's when you realize that he has this entire like replica city of where they live and it's like oh like so it's just again it's just little stuff like that that you're like giant spider what kind of movie is this but then you realize it's just a gag um until later when beetlejuice is a thing and they you know the sandworms and a lot of a lot of cool things about that movie and uh 
Tim Burton in general. And so I think that this is another one we might have to dive into deeper next season. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Do a Burton uh, dive. Yep. I, I would love to. I'm going to, I'm going to go for the cheap plug <laughs> for a moment. Um, Daydream instruction manual. Uh, my main podcast. Dimwits. We, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Moose lovingly refers to us as the dim wits because daydream instruction manual, we shorten it to dim. So, you know, he calls us dim wits, <laughs> but we did actually do, um, uh, back in January, I, I believe. So. Yeah. Uh, it was actually my 10 year anniversary, uh, for being a podcaster with my original show, the zombie Lee horror hour. So, uh, we did a little uh, tribute uh, to myself, <laughs> I guess. But the point is, we did a deep dive into just our favorite Tim Burton film. So if you if you enjoy a little bit of like you know what I've been talking about with with Tim Burton, like if maybe you didn't know some of those uh, you know little details about Beetlejuice and stuff, and you're interested. We've got a whole lot more of that on the Daydream Instruction Manual podcast. Um, Link will be in the episode description. Well, thank you. And and yeah, like if if you wanted at some point do a deep dive on some Tim Burton, I would love to. Like I don't care if I talk about the same exact movies that I talked about before. It's it's you know someone that I've been a big fan of for most of my. I mean, basically all of my movie watching life. So I would love to do that whenever you're ready for it. Do you have any uh, interesting things coming up? <sighs> oh. like, no, everything's closed. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I, I would say, you know, keep keep an eye on the Daydream Instruction Manual page. Um, I play in bands. You can check out uh, Graveyard Smash or Before I Burn. Uh, we have music on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, like all the major uh, streaming uh, music platforms. Uh, both bands will be releasing new music soon. Uh, if you are here because you like horror movies, more particularly... Graveyard Smash is a horror punk band, so all of our songs are about, you know, the dark and macabre and, and whatnot. So keep an eye on that stuff, and and I believe you might hear me maybe a couple more times with this whole uh, fan package, thing package, if you will, uh, you know, giveaway that, that Moose will be having over the next... Uh, you know, a couple episodes. So that's the exciting stuff I have. I talk too much. I'm going to stop. Well, let's say it's the, the, the perfect time to paraphrase my son. You know, it's, you know, no one has anything interesting going on because some dummy ate a bat like a dumb, dumb. I got dumb, dumb. He's seven. He and is. it was I didn't realize that my seven-year-old had that big of a grasp on the COVID situation. It was a very interesting morning. But yep. on that note, listeners, uh, be sure to head over to Moose's Marvelous Woodburnings and More on Facebook or Moose Media Inc. on Twitter. 
starting September 8th to check out entry guidelines for the Dracula Fang Package giveaway. Billy, thanks for stopping by and uh, helping me uh, roll out this promotion and uh, chatting with me about the movies. Of course. Love to. And uh, until next time, Horror Hounds, mash on. Monster Mash. Come back for more chills and thrills if you dare. <laughs>